0: Okay, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. I'll be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually deserved. Father, I have one simple prayer. Cause that verse and what your servant Paul intended by it to become clear to us so that we who believe will live our lives daily, is desperate to be worked upon by Your Spirit for the sake of getting what You have given to us on the pages of Scripture. To the glory of Your Son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. This is week 13 in the series The Person and the Work of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, the topic is simply this, what is the Holy Spirit's role in our biblical interpretation? What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my answer up front as briefly as I can. And then I'm going to slow down and say, let's go back and show you why I get there and try to unfold other aspects of that answer. And then I'm just going to restate it again and we're done. So in a nutshell, I'm going to argue this morning that we are in great need for the Holy Spirit's constant work in our understanding the intended meaning of Scripture. But as I say that, That does not mean we need the Holy Spirit to visit us in our quiet times or as you sit there on a Sunday morning to come and whisper into our ears what the Bible means. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not what He does. Our getting at the meaning of Scripture is arrived at by reading and reading it well, period. There is no secret potion that we take. And some of us, you've been in circles like this, there is no secret anointing for particular super spiritual leaders where the Holy Spirit somehow whispers into their ear personally what the Scripture means. And then they let you know That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. Well then, Joe, why are you arguing that we need the work of the Holy Spirit in in order to understand clearly what is written on the pages of Scripture? The answer is simply this. If you're a believer, if you have come to faith in Jesus, that means you believe that this book is the inspired infallible Word of God. And that means that whatever you conclude on your own, as you listen to teachers say, is that there? The conclusions you come to about the meaning of Scripture to you, the stakes are really high. And that's a danger. Because we know, what does the Bible say? I'm bound by it. How am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to think about God? How does He reveal Himself? You know, this is God speaking, you have emotional and lifestyle investment in the conclusions you draw from Scripture, if you're a believer. And therefore, we are desperate for the Holy Spirit to constantly break our arrogance and our pride. And to cause His desires, as we saw last week, which war against our desires, which are there of the flesh, to supersede those desires of the flesh, we're constantly in desperate need for the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts so that our hearts tomorrow will be open, welcoming to the intended meaning that has always been there on the pages of Scripture. In other words, we're desperate for Him every day to cause our hearts to be in a disposition of I want what is there on the pages. I want to understand it and be affected by it. Now here's the kicker of the whole message this morning. Why are we desperate for that? Because to the extent that is not happening is to the extent our hearts are hardening It's to the extent that secret sin and sinful patterns are developing in our lives. And then, to that extent, as we saw last week, our flesh, our sinful nature, will not like what the Bible actually says. And thus we're going to be more and more tempted to twist the meaning What's plainly on the pages of Scripture. You may even get to the place where you will accumulate for yourselves teachers who will tickle your ears, tell you what you want to hear. Ah, your flesh wants to hear. Okay. There's my answer. I'm going to come back and try to say that slowly now and how I arrive at that. Here's the book. Sixty-six books called the Bible. The inerrant, infallible Word of God. And as we saw in last week's sermon, the Apostle Paul writes to us in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit, and belief in the truth. What truth, Paul? Clearly, Paul's referring to the Scripture. To the Old Testament prophets, and to the words of the apostles. The meaning that is on the pages of Scripture is the truth. And as Paul just said there, it is our life. To get through the tunnel of sanctification involves intrinsically in our life a response to the meaning that had been delivered on the pages of Scripture long before any of us were ever born. The Scripture is our daily bread of life in order to constantly deprogram our horrible thinking and decisions and living, and to program it God-word. Paul called the Word the sword of the Spirit, by which we do battle against coming up within Joe every day, sin, desires of the flesh, as we saw in Galatians chapter 5 last week. The Bible is unique. It's the inerrant Inspired by God, breathed out by God, infallible word. It is filled with reality. It's filled with truth that cannot be got at any other way. Can't get it. Much of the core of the biblical truth about who God is, why He's created, What He has done in redeeming people, you can't do that in a science lab and get to it. He has delivered it through men over centuries by His Holy Spirit and had it penned. Those truths are found on the pages of this book. Now here's the kicker. Those things on the pages of Scripture, by their nature, are utterly foreign to the nature that we were born into. are opposed to one another. You know how smoothly ice cream goes down your throat? The core meaning of this book throughout says to us sinners, eat this truth. Except it comes to us like this is what it feels like. Chew this broken glass and swallow it. That is the natural response of our sinful nature to God's Word. That's what it's constantly saying to sinful humanity. And so if this book is the Christian life manual... And if an everyday, ordinary Christian, as they read it, cannot understand what it says, how is that helpful to us then? What good would the book be? And as we're going to see in our text, what does Paul mean here? If... As believers, we cannot read the Bible and understand it unless we spiritually discern it. Here's a question this morning then. How does that work? That spiritual discernment. What does that spiritually discerning the Word in order to understand mean in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14? So let's start right there. If you're in 1 Corinthians, be there. Chapter 2. In verse 14, Paul writes, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. we spend a little time trying to define those two terms. What does he mean by natural person? What's that mean? And what does he mean by the things of the Spirit of God? They're key to understanding what Paul's doing here. First, the term the natural person. That, that's translating the Greek word soukikos, meaning natural or soulish, and then soulish man, anthropos. But okay, Translated in ESV, natural or soukikos. What do you mean soukikos or natural? The NIV translates it this way. The man without the Spirit. Now you would think, whoa, are all those Greek words there behind that English translation? Like the word without and the word Spirit? They're not there. But the NIV, it's a paraphrase. So they feel very free to go ahead and paraphrase their interpretation of what it says. And here, they're dead right. Now, this is why I argue that that is a great translation of the meaning of natural or soulish person, a person without the spirit. First, the only other place in the New Testament where that word sukikos is used, referring to a human being, is in Jude. In verse 19, listen to what he writes. In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. That phrase, worldly people, is that one word. Sukikos, Same word. Natural people. And he defined it. They do not have the Holy Spirit. In them. So Jude means here, people who were not born again. The Holy Spirit has not caused them to be raised spiritually from the dead. He's not dwelling in them. Okay? All right, now back in our context in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, just look up two verses from verse 14 to verse 12. Paul writes, Now we have received. Not the spirit of the world, but, here it is, Christian, we have received the Spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Okay, we have the Spirit, therefore we understand. Now go to our verse, verse 14. But on the other hand, the natural person, he means not the Christian the natural person who hasn't received the Spirit of God does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness or folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually deserved. So get, get, get Paul's context. He has said, we who are believers who have fled for refuge to Christ by the Holy Spirit, we receive the Spirit and thus, unlike the natural persons, we are able to understand. You see that? The things of the Spirit of God. So apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit, human beings in their sin, at least the words Paul is using here now, cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. You see that yet? Okay. Second term, what are those things of the Spirit? Of God. In our verse, Paul says, "The natural person, the person without the indwelling, saving work of the Holy Spirit, that person considers the things of the Spirit of God, whatever they are, to be foolishness." You see that? The question is, what does that mean? We' we'll jump up in the context a little bit to chapter one. Verse eighteen, Paul writes, "For the word of the cross—that's the gospel. It's the gospel. The word of the cross, telling you about your sinfulness in God's glory, in your doom and wrath. And He sent His Son to bear it on a cross, and He raised Him from the dead. That message, the word of the cross, is." or foolishness to those who are perishing. But, but it's not foolishness to everybody. He says, but to us Christians who are being saved, by, to us who are being saved, that message is not foolishness. It is the power of God. And so Paul just said, those who hear the gospel of Jesus and they don't believe. He says it's because in their hearing they consider it eh, foolish. Foolishness. Same thing He says in our text. Chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. What things? The Gospel. The cross. Doesn't accept the message of God of the gospel because they are foolishness to him the natural person so the things of the spirit refers to the content of the gospel you jump down in chapter 1 verse 23 paul in this context writes we preach christ we preach the gospel we preach christ crucified wrath of God that was coming on you and you deserved he absorbed it. He says we preach that. That's a horrible message to preach to people. Human Paul, you tell people that there is a God who created them and that they're that rotten that they deserve eternal damnation and thus God sent his son In order to be slaughtered by him where his wrath would be poured out for the salvation of those who would believe. Yeah, that's what he preaches. And then he says, that message is a stumbling block to religious people, to Jews. And it's
1: foolishness
0: to Gentiles. So there it is again. It says the same thing. It's foolishness to Gentiles. What is foolishness? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ, is foolishness to people without the Spirit. When Paul preached the cross, he preached it all. That's what's so offensive to the flesh. He didn't just say, Jesus loves you and follow what he would do. You don't get saved until you know you're lost. Paul was clear about the judgment of God. He has ordained a day in which he will judge all mankind by, by this man whom he raised from the dead. That's how Paul preached and we, all of us, if left to our flesh, will only respond foolishness. That, that's why in the context in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, Paul concludes it this way. Verse 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world in order to shame the wise, and here's his point, verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And so, the preaching of the cross, that content of the gospel, is what Paul means in chapter 2 when he says, the things of the Spirit of God. So when Paul says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. When he says that, he means the gospel when it comes in all of its devastating implications. The flesh, our natural desires, the natural man repels it. It's foolishness. No way! I ain't that bad. i going for that kind of stuff. Okay, so there's those two terms. The natural person, a person without the Holy Spirit indwelling them savingly. The things of the Spirit just refers to the content of the Gospel. The Word of God. So, now, as we look at our verse, let's not misconstrue what Paul is saying in verse 14. This is what I mean. If we think that Paul is saying here in chapter 2, verse 14, the only way to understand the meaning of Romans chapter 1 to 5, or the only way to understand Ephesians, chapter 3, or the only way to understand Genesis, or Jeremiah, or the book of Hebrews, is if along with your reading, God the Holy Spirit speaks to you what it really means. It's not what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14 if I as a pastor or thousands of other pastors were ever to say to you, now you've got to really pay attention for the next 30 minutes because what I'm going to be sharing with you is what God the Holy Spirit told me this text of Scripture meant and means. So really hang on now. If I say that, or if Pope Benedict says it, or Billy Graham or John Piper, anybody who says that, here's my advice, absolutely discount those words as having any influence over what you will believe about God or about the text under consideration that one is saying, God, the Holy Spirit revealed to them what it means. Because that is not the work of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need to do that because He did a really good job the first time when He inspired the Word through the human authors and He delivered the meaning via human language written down for all time now and it was there long before you or I were ever born. Then what does it mean when Paul says the person without the Holy Spirit cannot understand the content of the gospel okay first think about it when he says that here, does Paul mean the person without the spirit he just cannot understand the contents of the gospel because the person has No access to the gospel. Meaning, they've never heard it. They don't even know what the message of Jesus is. It's never come to them. Is that what he means in this text? I think clearly, clearly not. And it is true, you cannot understand something that you have never come in contact with. But that's not what Paul means. Okay? Does he mean here, yes, people do have access to the content of the gospel, it has been preached to them, or they've picked up the Gideon Bible in a hotel room, or they've been in church for years and they've heard that message, but the reason they cannot understand it is because they do not have the intellectual capacity to construe the meaning from those words that they heard or read. See, if he meant one of those two things, because he does not mean that second one either. If he meant that, then how would those people ever be held accountable for their rejecting the gospel that they had no capability to understand with their mind? Imagine there's a Chinese person who speaks only Chinese, Mandarin, and you speak not a lick of Chinese, comes up to you, and you have, here's the key you, you have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know nothing about it. And that person starts speaking to you in Chinese, standing for 15 minutes. Now, what really happened is that Chinese person was preaching to you the contents of the gospel, and at the end, pled with you to repent and to believe guess what? You go away an unbeliever because you did not understand a word that He said to you. Here's the question. With that little illustration, is that an illustration of what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 2.14 when he says, and he, this person, is not able to understand the gospel because they, those things of the gospel are spiritually discerned no it's not an illustration at all of what Paul is getting at the Chinese person is speaking in a code that this receiver has no clue how to decipher the meaning of it I certainly don't and I can't be held accountable for the Chinese language. I don't know what the man means. I can't understand you. That's not what Paul means here. He doesn't mean... The natural person does not understand the language codes of Greek if Paul's preaching in all these cities. it's not what he means. They have the intellectual capacity to decipher meaning from marks on a page if they know how to read. That's not what Paul means here. So, when Paul says, though, the natural person, the person without the Spirit, cannot understand the gospel, he does not mean the natural person cannot construe meaning from black marks on a page or from what their ears hear with someone speaking in their known language. In fact, the context of verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 2 implies the very opposite. They can understand. What I mean is this. Look at verse 14 again. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they are Foolishness to him. That's a response. In order to respond to any sermon, to any teaching, to any reading, as here's my response foolishness that implies you understood. They heard Paul preach. There is a God who created everything and He created you for His glory and you have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And wrath is coming on the day of judgment for all of you. But God sent His Son to come and to save all who would believe in Him by His death on the cross. And He raised Him from the dead to confirm this. So believe and repent. What happens with us sinful human beings? Our natural sinful people, without the Spirit, we're still hardened in our heart. What is our response to that? Whether we go to church all of our life, and raised in it, or hear the gospel the first time, our response is, in one way or another, it's saying this. Foolishness. We might be real sweet toward it, but it's... No, thank you. Crazy. God, wrath. Hell for me. Sure. I mean, maybe for you know, few people I can tell you about history, but come on, God's not like that. Foolish. Yes. See, an unbeliever, a person without the Holy Spirit, can very well read in their known language and understand what is written. They could read and they could understand, oh, that's what that guy Paul meant as I read Romans 1 through 5. And if they read it very carefully, they can do a really good job at interpreting it. They might even be professional and get paid to do it, and many unbelievers have been. They can read and understand the intended meaning, for instance, of a Luke or Paul, or Jeremiah. But then they say, oh, I don't buy it. <laughs> it's foolishness. Of course Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Okay. Do you get that? They can understand it. That, Paul believed that. I understand what he believed. I don't buy it. That's what it means. They don't accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness. To them. The problem that Paul is referring to in our text is not the lack of clarity of speech in the gospel or the lack of intellectual capacity to understand the meaning as it is delivered clearly. The problem is the heart's response to what their minds see and hear in the preaching of the gospel. Their hearts say, I won't accept it. It's true. I won't welcome it. That's what he means when he says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. And the last phrase in verse 14 confirms that this is exactly what Paul means. And he is not able to understand them, the content of the gospel, because they, those things of the gospel, are spiritually discerned. Now, what he does not mean by spiritually discerned is you need the Bible, then you need the Holy Spirit to say, okay, over here, this is what it means. That's not what he means by spiritually discerned. The word to discern means to evaluate something. It means to price it. To place a value on it. See, Bob understands this. This is what he does for a living. He appraises tells people what the value of the property is. And I wish the ESV had gone along with the better translation like the New American Standard Bible, which translates it, spiritually appraise. What value do you place on what you hear? What Paul is saying is that an unregenerate, that is a person who has not been born again. Natural person. Out the Spirit. They appraise it, but not spiritually. They don't appraise it by the indwelling of the Spirit. They appraise it from their flesh. And here's their appraisal. Worthless. Just give it away. Can't get any money for that. It's foolishness. But believers, spiritually, Praise. Jesus says the kingdom of God the gospel salvation is like a treasure it was hidden in the field and the man found it. he buried it he did not own the field he goes home he sells everything he has he appraised the value of the kingdom Jesus says the kind of understanding I mean Paul says the kind of understanding I'm talking about is that which is spiritually appraised not natural man People were born again. This is what's happened with the very content of the Scripture. You will praise it for what it is. So when he says can't understand, he doesn't mean, I have no clue what the Gospel is. No, no, no. See, he doesn't mean it's gibberish. Do you agree or disagree with what I just said? Well, you don't have a right to agree with what I said. Or disagreed. Because you don't know what I said. You don't have a right to call to foolishness because you don't know the meaning. Paul says, they know the meaning. And the heart says, foolishness. And natural man will always respond that way. The only reason that any of us have responded differently than that is because of new birth by the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, as Paul said in the context. We have the Spirit of God, and thus we appraise the message. It's valuable, beautiful. Okay. Now, I want to try to do so, because remember, I know, what's that to do with biblical interpretation? We're going to get there in a minute you got to understand, understand that's what's going on in that text. Now, last week's sermon, we saw the Christian life of sanctification, according to Paul, is a battle. A constant battle within every believer of our innate desires of the flesh. Warring against the desires of the Holy Spirit, which always matched the meaning of Scripture. That's the Christian life. And so real life kind of works like this. When our, as we saw last week, our fleshly desires gain the ascendancy over spiritual desires in those moments? They do. That's the Christian life. That's called when you sin and then you repent. When that happens, that, that means our flesh, our person, we don't blame it on someone else. It's us. We recoil at the intended meaning of Scripture in particular parts. We just don't like it. Yet. And our flesh is saying, foolish, huh?" Do with that, that would mean I might have to change, and no, I don't want to. The Word of God comes, and we at the moment are cherishing something that the gospel says you must give up. That's the fun. That it works. And as I ask no, oh, no, foolish, just put, put it behind me. Block it out. I'm not going there. For, look, after service, if you walk up to me and you hand me a cyanide tablet, I said, take that. I don't want to take that. I'll be dead in a few seconds. Okay, there's the content. It's coming to me. And I say to that, I understand it very well, no, I'm not doing it. Foolish. Because I cherish something. I cherish my life and I cherish my loved ones and the effect it would have on them if I do that. So I'm saying no. I don't want that. This is the dynamic just in reverse. Our flesh is you say that's life? I don't think it's life to me right now, God. Bible? No. Okay, here's the dynamic. Then that's what the flesh does. then what hope is there that this book would ever be of value to us? The next verse, verse 15. On the other hand, as opposed to the natural person who is only natural, the spiritual person judges, it's actually the same word that we've just seen, appraises All things. But he himself is appraised. By no no one. Paul just said. There are. Not only natural persons in the world. There are spiritual. Persons. This is the miracle. Of the gospel. Where the Holy Spirit comes in. And raises sinners from the dead. In new birth. And they believe. They're indwell by the Spirit. Their life is changed. They have the capacity to appraise commands of God. Promises of God. The gospel of Jesus is delicious to their soul. Let me give you an example. I was raised in church and all my life there is a content of the life, the substitutionary death of God who became a man and was bodily raised from the dead. I never disbelieved that. I always affirmed that. And I was only a natural person. I didn't know that until by the miracle of the Spirit at age 19, I became a spiritual person. And I know by experience something radical changed. The content didn't change. What was in my mind was the same. What changed was the appraisal of it in this very intimate, life-changing way is the most beautiful of all content I've ever heard in my life. There are spiritual persons. And so we as Christians, as spiritual persons, this is what we're doing when we're walking by the Spirit. When, as we saw last week, the desires of the Spirit gain ascendancy over the desires of the flesh. We do not reject the intended meaning of Scripture. We don't reject the plain reading on the pages of the Bible. Even when they reveal things that were utterly foreign to the way we thought God should be. Or what we should do. Or stop doing. When the Holy Spirit is at work, we're saying, "Yes, oh, I feel battle, but yes, because I know you have my ultimate good." So, yes, think you got least attention? The dynamic? How this is okay? That now I'm going to come to the close here. Here's the sermon now. Back to where we started. Why is that dynamic that I've been trying to describe from 1 Corinthians 2, why is that dynamic the crucial work for the way we interpret the Bible? Yeah. So here we go again. Because this book, from Genesis to Revelation, is inspired by God. It is inerrant, it is infallible, it is God in his self revelation what He has decided to reveal to us creatures about who He is and why He does what He does. It is His revelation of how He is saving many from His eternal wrath in Jesus Christ called redemptive history. It is His revelation of what is right and what is wrong, what is true, and what is error. The Bible, the words delivered by the Holy Spirit through men, is our daily sustenance food, bread of life in this battle called sanctification. We are desperate, therefore, to know what it says. What it means by what it says. And thus, we are desperate in our prayer lives, in our quiet times with the Bible, in our listening to sermons and seeing if those things are true. We are desperate to pray for the work of the Holy Spirit so that we will accurately understand what it actually means. Now, what I mean by that, as I repeat myself, is not that the Holy Spirit needs to come and tell us what it means. The meaning of Bible, the meaning of Romans 1, the the meaning of Jeremiah 13, is arrived at By carefully reading it in its context. Letting the grammar and the syntax do its work. Don't, Don't let that go over your head. Have you ever read anything? Have you ever read a newspaper article? A magazine article? And gone away thinking, I've understood what that meant. That's all I mean then. That's how you read Bible. Read it in its context. Now, does a little bit more work for some things because there's a 2,000 year gap. Need some historical perspective. What are they referring to? Cultural perspective, and all that stuff's really easy in our day and age. You just got you can put all that in one Bible called study Bibles. Now, really helpful there. But then you just read it. You would read a magazine article in its context. That's how you get at the meaning of the Bible. So here it is now. We've got the Bible. The Holy Spirit has inspired it. And he did not fail to communicate exactly what he means when he had Paul, for instance, write. It's there. It's on the page. You get at it by reading and reading well. And the Holy Spirit is not going to short-circuit that process. That, that, that process by whispering in your ear what it really means. The idea that there is a spiritual meaning in the text as opposed to the plain meaning on the surface of the page is a doctrine of demons. The words of the Spirit have been once and for all delivered to the church in these 66 books. Read them carefully. Feel free to disagree with any preacher. If I'm looking and you say it means, help me, I don't see that. On the page here, you should have all the freedom as a Christian to not believe anything that you can't see yet. You might be wrong, so, so you listen with ears. Why are you arguing? Maybe I'm missing something. And then you get corrected. Or you realize that's just not there. The meaning is on the page long before any of us in this world today were ever born, no matter what any preacher may say. So, the work of the Holy Spirit in helping us grasp the meaning of the Bible is not to make thinking and reading unnecessary. But his work is to make us welcome. Make our hearts hungry and want whatever a good reading of the Scripture would give to us. That's the work of the Spirit. Now, here's the kicker. Why is that important, therefore, in biblical interpretation? Because if that is not happening, we will be more and more tempted to twist the intended meaning of Scripture we'll just be so tempted to not let it say what it's clearly saying because it's offensive to our flesh you see let me give, i'm going to make a weird statement there are professionals who get paid to interpret the bible who are not believers This happens and there's been numbers of them over the years they're scholars and they actually have a, an advantage, I think, in understanding what Paul meant. In this sense. They don't believe it's the inerrant, infallible Word of God. They don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But they're really good with language, historical context, they know all the basic exegetical skills, and they have no personal investment on what they conclude from Scripture. See the way they live their life and do their morality and do their sexuality and do their marriage or any their business. They don't think, oh my, what I conclude here is going to affect me. They don't think that. And there's a such therefore there's could be this more objective freedom to say what does what did Paul mean in the context. Does that make sense? Okay, now you take us. I'm invested. My whole life is invested how I parent, how I do marriage, how we do business, how we do honor, how we do everything is invested in my eternal life on what I conclude from Scripture. And therefore, that puts me to the extent that I am not praying daily, God, soften my heart to welcome your truth, to want it. Because the more it gets hardened and doesn't want it, the more it will be tempted to not see what's clearly there or distort what is clearly there. Because when you read the Bible, There is that constant experience. Huh? You mean God? You are like that? I didn't see that one coming. We do that a lot. And then we close the door on it too. Because we know that can't be true. True. You mean you want me to what? Nope. Just close the door on that one. As we saw last week, that is the battle. The desires of her flesh constantly warring against the desires of the Spirit, which always match what the Spirit has spoken, called the Bible. It's intended meaning, not our twisted meaning. It matches the intended meaning delivered there. So when our flesh gains the ascendancy, we will easily say, I know on the surface of the page it seems to say that, but we know that can't really mean what it seems to say, so there's got to be some kind of, a missing something, and uh, have to be missing something. That's the dynamic going on underneath the Christian life all the time. And that's why we are desperate. Say, God, every day open my heart so that I don't abuse your word. So I don't even, I'll wake up in three years and find I wasn't even listening to your word. Even in my quiet time or in church service, I wouldn't even listen. I was just, just in my sin, dead, ignoring your word, thinking everything. Is okay. Protect my heart so that I don't twist your word. The more the Holy Spirit is working on our hearts, the more hearts are saying, give me more. Whatever it actually means, I want. Instead of, well, if I were God, hmm. Now, I know it seems to say that, but if I were God, I don't think I would do things that way. Which gets converted into, therefore God himself would never do things that way. Let me just give you a couple examples as I close. There's a series of churches called the Metropolitan Churches. These are basic evangelical churches with good evangelical doctrine, except for this one big issue. To have homosexual activity with another person is condoned in those churches. That's monogamously, not serial, okay? With a committed relationship, monogamously, these How does that happen? Because of the flesh? I, I think it happens like this. There are lots of, of people who have a battle that I don't know. And I feel for them that they've only known same-sex attraction, and they come into the church, and, Jesus, I want to be saved. And they fought against not acting out on that for, for many years, not supposed to do that, I know that. And there's their battle, and many times they give up. And then they find a scholar got a book and say, well, this interpretation of what Paul means in Romans 1 and what Moses meant is not that homosexual activity is intrinsically sinful. No, it's a serial thing, but in a committed relationship. Oh, I got people to interpret the Bible for me that way. Where's that come from? It comes from the battle, it comes from the flesh that has an agenda, and it will twist Scripture. How many young women, or middle-aged women for that matter, over the centuries, and it's all over evangelicalism today, they know the truth, they know the truth, they know the truth, and then, something happens in their life. I want another opinion on that truth. There's got to be another opinion on what Paul meant when he said, if you are unmarried, do not marry an unbeliever. Why is that person looking for now another opinion to reevaluate? Because there's probably an unbeliever in her life who has romantic intentions toward her. And the idea of not being lonely is strong. And now the flesh starts to work until you find someone to agree with you and go on being a Christian, abusing, misinterpreting the scripture why is the evangelical church filled with condoning unbiblical divorce all over the place because more than half the church simply condones unbiblical divorce and they write books on it others of us just thinking how do you how do you get that out of moses and jesus and paul but it's just rampant. How does it happen? It's the battle. It's the flesh. That's why we're so desperate to say, God, are we at the center? Is our culture at the center? Are my feelings at the center? Or have you delivered your eternal truth in the Word? And Therefore, we need to constantly be on our face. God, break my heart so that i welcome what is utterly unworldly delivered on the pages of scripture come on we are constantly as believers desperate for the work of the holy spirit in our lives or we will be taking the bible constantly and distorting it into our own sinful image instead of Letting the Holy Spirit take the Bible and not distort, but mold us into the image of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would in ways deeper, Than any of our experiences up to this point. Make us desperate every day to be before your face, begging you to powerfully work in us by your spirit, squishing our hearts. be very, very pliable and hungry for all the Bible, hungry to eat and to think and to read well, to be carried along by Your Spirit as You foment through this Scripture stronger and stronger desires. Holiness and righteousness and worship that will cause our desires of the flesh to seem so tiny. Do this in lives in the various ways, only you know that each of us needs.